0: Ahoy, hoi, darling. How are you? Ahoy, matey! Are we at sea today? I guess so.
1: <laughs> We're so nautical today. I love it.
0: Yeah. it's be- You know what? It's because you look a little under the sea with your mood lighting. I do. I have like sort of a
1: blue underlit fluctuating light situation here. It's
0: very aesthetically pleasing.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad. It looks like I'm... Recording some sort of illicit activity, I feel like, <laughs> is what it really looks like, to put it mildly.
0: I don't think they have that great lighting. No,
1: probably not. They probably have a ring light and they're like all yeah, perfectly illuminated. Like what I have. Yes. Monique's going to record something for us. Then. <laughs> hey. Not at all. I'm sorry. it's It's late and I'm already silly, so this should be very entertaining.
0: Boom. I'm into it.
1: Also, Monique's, like, rocking some red lipstick right now that I am a fan of.
0: Are you? Okay. I have not been a fan all day, so I'm glad that you are. Okay. So this is a new one. I believe it's called Beauty Bakery. You may have seen it on the gram because their advertisement of it on the caption, it's a bunch of emojis and then the word proof. So it's, like, waterproof, pizza proof, whatever the fuck proof. Eggplant proof. Oh, uh-huh.
1: okay.
0: For vegans, right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That is a, a bold claim, madam. So I bought a bunch of them. Hoping <laughs> the <to> t- <laughs> Like sold? <laughs> Say no more. Sold maybe. Because there's several that I've bought that are supposed to be kiss proof and they're not. But none of them have ever claimed to be eggplant proof.
1: All right, I'm going to need a full
0: report. Yes. <laughs> I expect it next week, Monique. Thank you. Oh, I mean, that's I, can, I don't know. I can get it together in a week. Holy shit. To become like hot and fuckable in a week. Mm. It's a tall order. But girl, you're hot and fuckable now. Stop it. Thank you. I appreciate you. So are you. But you know that you're fianced and all um, but this. <laughs> this red is a little too orange for me, for my taste. So I don't know. I'm into it. OK, I like it. Thank you. I have another red. I bought like three reds because that's kind of my my lip color is a red. That's the move.
1: Always. I don't usually wear it, but when I do, I'm always like, oh my God, why don't I do this? I'm like yeah. I feel so confident and fiery. This is great. Yes.
0: Yeah. See, because my go-to A number one is Fenty Uncensored. Oh. That lip situation is like that red is fucking phenomenal. It's fire, but it's not kiss-proof. Oh, okay. And I'm assuming not eggplant proof. <laughs> definitely <laughs> not. Not if you're doing it right, Monique. I mean, definitely not. Not if you're doing it right. N- yes. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's where the, re- I- so I worked all day, like literally all day. So, uh, I've been wearing this since seven in the morning. This is what it looks like. I actually don't believe that
1: it looks really good.
0: Yeah. All right. I'm impressed. hmm You can get them at Ulta or at Beauty Bakery. We're not getting any ads or anything for this. <laughs> but just FYI. No, we make no money. We just talk about things we like. It's fine. <laughs> yes.
1: Just lip products and Alamo Draft House, usually.
0: <laughs> yes. I haven't been to Alamo Draft House in so fucking long. It's so fucked up. Girl, I'm trying to go this week. Ah. I know. I still
1: haven't seen Nope yet, so. That's my, that's my goal. That's fucked up. I know. I got literally engaged in front of the fucking display and I still have not seen it. Hey girl, we gotta get on that. Yeah. So I think that's what I'm going to do
0: this week. I love that journey for you. What about you? I'm going to Nashville this week, babies. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I'm going to see Pearl Jam. Oh shit. Because I... Couldn't get tickets uh, to New York. So I got them in Nashville. And this is, these are tickets for 2019. No. Yeah, girl. That's crazy. Yeah, because I think the concert was supposed to be March of 2020. So. That's insane. I don't think I realized
1: <laughs> that as many times. I'm sure you've told me this multiple times. And every time I seem to forget this information.
0: Because you're like, that doesn't make sense. That's not right.
1: No. Why would I believe that? I assumed everything had already been made up from
0: fucking 2019 yet. Nope, not at all. Uh, no. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Because I've only been to Nashville once and I had a very nice time. And now my friend lives there. So I get to hang out with her. So that's very exciting.
1: That's awesome. Did
0: you do anything this week or
1: watch anything? No, I've been keeping up on the new Game of Thrones spinoff, House of Dragons.
0: Oh, how's that?
1: It's, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it yet, Monique. Okay, that's fair. It's getting weird and incestuous right now because... Mm. obviously obviously yeah it's yeah game of thrones adjacent (laughs) i'm intrigued again i'm like reserving judgment okay i'm excited to watch it every week but i'm still just i don't know i feel kind of like i'm in limbo when i watch the show we're just like i don't know Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm having to learn too many new complicated names
0: and it's Oh, that kills me. I'm like readjusting my brain to this. That's why the, the Tolkien thing was, could never work for me. I was like, no, no. Why can't they just be named Jeff? I can't do this. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> <laughs> you, I feel like
1: you'd really like Dune if that's the case. Because I feel like that's like a weird kind of sci-fi movie where everyone has like really weird basic names. Yeah. And you're like, why is the savior of the world like named Paul? That just doesn't seem right.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I know nothing about Dune other than Johnny really was into it.
1: He was really into it. He tried to get me to read it. I said I was going to. I
0: didn't because that's like a saga. That's many books. It is. But knowing me,
1: I could honestly probably read it in like two days if I really dedicated myself to it. Probably
0: like a day, and I still just am like, eh. I'm so envious that your brain does that. What
1: read so quickly?
0: Yeah, mine does not. I get that. No, it's really it's really tough. Like uh, reading prose is very tough for me. So scripts and, and like plays, it's like dialogue, dialogue. I'm like, great, right, great, right, great, right, great,
1: right. Yeah, I can usually just like bang through it. I, I also feel like I skim too much though. So I've had trouble in books where like, if two characters have similar length names with similar beginning letters, because I'm reading so quickly, I'm almost skimming certain parts. I will get those people confused repeatedly. So it does bite me in the ass sometimes.
0: Yeah. No, it takes me forever to read anything—a really long time.
1: <laughs> I feel that I couldn't get into Lord of the Rings either. Honestly, like I bought all the books super ambitiously when the movies were coming out. I was like, "I'm going to read them all," and then I was like, "This is really boring in the beginning," and I can't get into it.
0: <laughs> that's the thing, and and it's so detailed. <sighs> yeah, that it's like it's like four pages talking about a fucking doorknob, and I'm like, I can't do this, man. I'm sorry. No, and I know that that's really blasphemous. It's just, it's not for me. I can't. And there's so many characters and they all have weird names and I'm not the type of person. See, my mother informed me that whenever I tell her about someone, for instance, you know, I'll be like, oh, this is like, you know, my friend Janet. She immediately gets a picture in her head of who that is. So for me, I don't do that. Like if I don't have a point of reference as to like, like me, like you say, Janet, I think Janet Jackson. So that's who it's going to be. So you're talking about your friend Janet. I'm picturing Janet Jackson. Like, for instance, when Johnny would talk about you, The only other Amy I knew was this Asian chick in high school.
1: (laughs) So that's who you pictured when he said he was dating Amy?
0: But because that was the only other Amy I knew, like, because my brain works relationally. I love this. If, like, he said that your name was, like, some other fucking name that of someone I didn't know, there would be, like, no picture. It would be no—I wouldn't fill in that blank. My brain just doesn't do that. Interesting. So when you—so, like, you have Legolas— Before the fucking movies, I'm like, that doesn't mean anything to me. These are just blank face people.
1: Yeah. You know, it's Orlando Bloom and you're like, I can get on board with this. I get it.
0: Correct. Yes. Yeah. All right. I can support this. So that's why a lot of times with things like that, that if, if I were to read the source material, it's preferred for my brain, uh, for clarity to have, to watch the movie just so that I could put a face to a name and I'll be like, okay this is this person. This is this person. Cool. Great. Otherwise my brain's like, I don't know. I have no
1: idea who this is. I totally get that. Mm. Honestly, even as much as I read, like I totally got that. I had a hard time with that and the Harry Potter books with Hermione. Like as soon as I finally heard them say it multiple times and like saw her, I was like, got it. Amazing.
0: Right. Yeah. I will say I did binge this week and the minimal time I had and if i can binge it you definitely can because it's 21 minute episodes the bear
1: oh
0: on fx hulu okay i
1: started it a while back but i never finished it it's great it's so good okay it's a lot of trauma if you've ever watched if you've ever worked in a restaurant it's like very stressful to watch so i can only watch a few episodes at a time because it genuinely like gives me anxiety sometimes
0: i mean i never worked in a restaurant not like not in a kitchen, like I bartended, but I never worked in the kitchen. So I don't have that stress. But this line appears in the first episode, and I was like, sold. Any of you incel, QAnon, 4chan, Snyder Cut motherfuckers want to get out of line now? That's it. Do you need anything else? That line is fucking magnificent. No, it's sold. It's, I was like, sold. This is wonderful. I loved it. I thought it was great. It's uh, eight episodes. They're 21 minutes each. So you can bang it out in a day, two, Great acting across the board. I know one of the actors very casually in it. Oh, shit. Who? Tina.
1: Oh, okay. Who's the older
0: Puerto Rican woman. Yeah. Who has like all the sass and the attitude. Oh, shit. Admittedly, know her husband more. Her husband is David Sayas, who played like the main detective in Dexter. I don't know. I never saw Dexter. What? <sighs> I never saw it.
1: Blasphemy. But also it ends horribly. So whatever. It's fine. I also read those books too.
0: Aren't they starting it up again though?
1: They did start it up again. I don't know if they're doing like another thing. I started just like the new season started autoplaying after something and I just left it on for a while and I caught some of it and it's
0: <sighs> sigh. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Also today years old did not know that Dexter was based on a book series. Oh yeah. Darkly Dreaming Dexter. Oh I've heard of that. Yes. The book series
1: is real dark. Like the show's dark. The book is fucked up. The shit they do to dokes in the book is like so fucked up that that I don't remember anything else from the book except for what they did to dokes because of how fucked up it was. <sighs> I will never recover from that scene.
0: This means nothing to me. <laughs>
1: I know. I don't even want to tell you because, like, it needs so many trigger warnings that I can't. Oh, shit. Okay. Damn. Uh, Probably not. But it's, like, it's full torture and it's not cool. And it's very physically and emotionally traumatic. Mm. Mm. Okay. I know. I'm being very, like, mysterious right now. And I'm not. It's just. Yeah. It's too much. I don't want to go into it right now. It's too early in the episode to be traumatizing people like this, Monique.
0: Yeah, which, incidentally. (laughs) <laughs> I meant to pass along this message to you, but I didn't. So hold on. Let me- <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. It's from Christina. Okay. By the way, I don't know if Amy has any intention of watching five days at Memorial, but just in case, warn her of dogs dying in the second to last episode. Oh, looking out. Thank you. So I guess that's a, that's a PSA for everyone. Thank you, Christina. Thank you for your service.
1: I need to know.
0: Thank you, Christina. I
1: appreciate you taking the hit on this one yeah
0: and she she says that she she doesn't get emotional uh watching a show but that the last two episodes she was bawling oh okay
1: okay okay very much noted not selling me
0: i have no idea what five days at memorial is about or why she felt that you specifically would watch it and not me because she didn't recommend it to me she was like p.s if amy's gonna watch this tell her that this is what's happening
1: she just knows that that's one of the things that gets <laughs> yes. me, where she's like, Monique will be fine if the dog dies. Like, Monique does not give a fuck about dogs, where she's like, Amy's going to be devastated. She needs to be warned.
0: It's interesting, because most of the time we'll be like, are you watching this thing? You should watch this thing. But that wasn't, there was no, subt- <laughs> it was like, there was no context to yeah. that. It's just like, P.S., should Amy want to watch this? Dissuade her. She should have this intel. Yeah.
1: Amazing. Well, Christina, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm sure she's saying you're welcome. <laughs> all right and on that note do you have a spooky creepy what the fuck paranormal story for
0: me this week i do sources rd.com which is readers digest that's still a thing who knew medium.com journal.com apnews.com and a source that will be withheld until the end
1: (gasps) i love when you do that yes Means she's got
0: surprises. Yes! In 1987, 27 year old Andre Daigle was working as a carpenter in New Orleans, doing home renovations along with his friend Joe Lapinto. Everyone described Andre as outgoing, energetic, instantly likable, and very popular among his peers. On Tuesday, June 9th, Andre drove his black Ford pickup truck down to Chi Chi's Mexican restaurant after work and met up with his friend Nick Shelley for dinner. After dinner, the two men headed to Mitchell's lounge to shoot some pool. The rule was loser buys the beers and Andre lost the first game. So he went to the bar to buy the first round. And there he met a woman sitting at the bar named Thelma. She was very friendly and flirtatious towards Andre. And the two of them chatted several times throughout the evening. However, Nick later noted that it appeared that Thelma was trying to hide her face. So he couldn't get a good look at her. And while he thought that was kind of weird he didn't really think much of it. The two men played a few rounds of pool and had a few drinks. As they were heading out, Thelma asked Andre if he could give her a ride home, saying that she needed to check in on a pregnant friend. Andre was the type of guy who was always willing to lend a helping hand, so he agreed to take Thelma home and said goodbye to Nick, who went home in his own car. The next day, Andre failed to show up for work. Evening came, and there was still no sign of him, and friends and family became very worried. Even though Andre was one of six brothers and sisters, the Daigles were a very close-knit family. They spoke every day and it was highly unusual that Andre hadn't reached out to any of them in over 24 hours. Andre's older brother, Chris, contacted authorities and the police immediately brushed it off because Andre was a grown man of 27, so they're like, what makes you think he's missing? And the cops told Chris that he had probably gone off drunk somewhere and would be back in no time. But four days came and went and the Daigles still hadn't heard from Andre, and they knew something was terribly wrong. Not only was it not like him to not show up for work, especially without calling, he wouldn't go four days without contacting anyone to let them know that nothing was wrong, and he definitely wouldn't go four days without feeding or taking care of his pets. But again, the local authorities were disinterested in investigating the case. Andre's sister, Elise, lived 2,000 miles away from her family in California. Two days before her brother's disappearance— Elise went to a psychic named Rosemarie Kerr in Escondido, California, with some friends. Elise was admittedly a skeptic, but went along figuring it would be fun and entertaining. Once her brother disappeared, however, she remembered that the medium, who claimed to be clairvoyant, had mentioned that she was also a psychic investigator with a special talent for finding missing people. Elise contacted Rosemarie, who agreed to help the Daigle family she told Elise to bring a picture of Andre and a map of Louisiana. And to be honest, Elise didn't expect much from the session, but she figured they had nothing to lose. After exchanging some initial pleasantries, Rosemary asked Elise if she had brought the item she had asked for. She had. Elise handed a map and a picture of her brother to the psychic, who took them and placed the items on the table with the picture facing down and without looking at it, closed her eyes and began rubbing the picture. Rosemary said, quote, When I go to the picture, I don't need to look at it because the minute I put my fingers on it, I get vibrations. So my fingers say it's like somebody reading Braille. I'm making my connection. Everybody else is out. As I'm touching the picture, I'm seeing all these things behind my eyes. End quote. A few moments into rubbing the picture, Rosemary complained that her head hurt, saying it felt as if she had been repeatedly hit in the head with a blunt object. Then she tells Elise that she saw her brother. In this dark truck with a distinctive scratch along the side but elise interrupted her saying that her brother doesn't drive a dark pickup he drives a small white car but rosemary was insistent because she believed that that was what andre was showing her what elise wasn't aware of was that andre had recently bought a new car a black ford pickup truck in the truck with him rosemary said she saw someone with long blonde hair and that this person had a lot of power over Andre. Again, this information seemed at minimum confusing, at maximum just plain wrong, because as far as Elise knew, her brother didn't have a girlfriend. Rosemary then turned her attention towards the map of Louisiana, a place the psychic had never been to. She closed her eyes and ran her fingers along the map. Rosemary said, quote, as I run my finger along the maps, my finger tells me where to stop. It's a vibration in my fingers, end quote. Rosemary was again hit with the powerful sensation of being hit in the head, and she received several visions. She could feel a long bridge to her right-hand side that was above her over water and a railroad track on the other side. She saw a sandy beach, a swamp, and the number seven kept coming in very strongly. Rosemary had no idea what any of this meant and just passed along the information to Elise. The psychic continued to methodically move her finger over the map until it passed over the town of Slidell, 30 miles away from New Orleans. When she hit Slidell, Rosemary said she felt as if a jolt of electricity had jumped off the paper into her hand. She then turned to Elise and pointed to Slidell and exclaimed that if they could find him, it would be in Slidell and they would have to do it as soon as possible. After the session, Elise called her brother, Chris, who had just come home from looking for Andre and putting up missing persons flyers all day. Elise told him that she had gone to a psychic who said that Andre would be found in Slidell. Chris lived in River Ridge, a small suburb of New Orleans, which was about 30 miles away from Slidell. Within minutes, Chris and the Daigle family, including his brother Joey and sister Virginia and Andre's best friend, Nick Shelley, were out the door heading for Slidell. Chris, Nick, Virginia, and Joey went together in Chris's car and Chris's sister went in her own car and they all went out to look for Andre. Rosemary advised them that they should talk to Andre and let him know that they were looking for him so that they could keep the connection open. Chris said, quote, so we did, you know. We knew it was frightening, but we didn't know if he was alive or not. We just wanted to reach out to him, you know, to let him know that, you know, his family was there. End quote. Now there's another piece of information that Rosemary received during the reading. She said she felt that Andre was no longer on this earth plane. But since Elise hadn't asked her if her brother was alive or not, she felt it wasn't her place to say. And again, some of the family members weren't optimistic that any of this would lead to anything, but they have absolutely nothing else to go on and are willing to follow any lead, no matter how improbable at this point. As they were driving about five miles outside of Slidell, they saw a truck speed by them going in the other direction. Not just any truck. It was Andre's truck. What? What? Uh Uh-huh. Girl, okay. Yep. They knew that it was Andre's truck, not only because it was a black Ford pickup, but because of the distinctive scratch on the side of the vehicle. The daigles turned around and began tailing it. And inside the vehicle were two men, one who had long blonde hair. But Chris didn't recognize either of them, and there was no sign of their brother. Chris's sister was also following the truck in her own car. When Chris spotted Andre's truck, He yelled at his sister to get off the road and to call their mother and to call the police and to tell them that they were going east on I-10. Chris's sister exited and he continued tailing the truck. But it became apparent that the drivers of the truck realized they were being followed and that they're trying to lose the tail, making it appear as if they're going to exit and then last minute swerving back onto I-10. But Chris stayed with them and the truck turned off onto Highway 11 outside of Pearl River. Highway 11 is a dark, deserted highway surrounded by nothing but trees with no street lighting. And Chris was pretty sure that his sister had told the police that they were on the interstate because that's where they had been. And remember, this is 1986. There's no cell phones. You know, you're just going off of the last information you have. Yeah. Which, yes, I lived a, a large amount of my life without cell phones and you were just call someone and expect them to pick you up. Like if you're like, we're meeting at this time, you just expected them to meet you. you you, there was no like, Hey, I'm here text, you know, but it's the the thought of that is very stressful now. Yeah. (laughs) My
1: mom literally thought I got kidnapped because I didn't show up in the place I was supposed to when I was supposed to. And I had no way to call her to tell her that I wasn't going to be there. Oh my God.
0: That's very stressful.
1: (laughs) It's very stressful. My mother thought I was dead. Yes.
0: But here's the thing. Chris knows that this truck is their only link to his missing brother. So he can't lose them. So they drive for a while and they come up on a dead end. The truck pulls up at the dead end, turns around, faces Chris's car, and shuts off the lights and motor. And Chris starts to freak out because he knows without a doubt that the men in his brother's car know that he was following them. About 50 yards away from the dead end, there was a bar. So Chris stopped the car and Nick ran out to the bar to call the police and give them a better idea of their location. After Nick ran to the bar, the lights on Andre's truck came back on and the car inched closer towards the Daigle's car. Chris told his sister, Virginia, to lie down on the floor of the car and his brother, Joey, who was carrying his 38 with him to grab his gun. Chris opened the car doors and he and Joey crouched behind the doors using them as shields. Once the black truck passed them, the car fucking booked it out of there. Scrambling to keep his brother's truck in their sights, Chris turned his car around to take off after them. And even though when they had just driven down that road a couple minutes earlier, it was completely deserted, when they doubled back, they miraculously came across a police car parked on the deserted highway that wasn't there before. They would later find out that that police car happened to be the only patrol car in the Pearl River area at that time, and it just so happened to be parked alongside the road they were on. Chris stops the car, and the three siblings frantically started screaming, what's going on at the cop? But they're all yelling at once, so the officer isn't understanding what's happening. Virginia shows him the missing person's flyer with Andre's picture on it and tells the officer that her brother's missing, and that's his truck. So the cop gets into his car and gets him to a high-speed chase pursuing the truck with the daigles following close behind, gunning it at around 100 miles an hour. It didn't take long for the officer to catch up with the truck and eventually get the driver to pull over. Police initially believe that this was a simple car theft. The officer did a search of the truck and found guns and ammunition in the vehicle. All the while, the daigles are yelling at the men, where's my brother? What did you do with my brother? But the men don't answer. The two men are taken to the police station and quickly identified as 24 year old Charles Gervais of New Orleans and 21 year old Michael Phillips of Kenner who just so happened to have long blonde hair. The two were both small time crooks who had done some time for burglary and they were initially charged for weapons and a stolen vehicle. Captain James Gallagher and his officers began interviewing Gervais and Phillips as to how they came into possession of the truck. Initially Gervais refused to comment But it wasn't long before Phillips started spilling the tea and confessed that they had actually killed Andre, but that Gervais was the one who had done it. Once Gervais realized that Phillips was talking, Gervais demanded to speak to authorities so that he could set the record straight, probably because he knew he couldn't trust Phillips. So Gervais told Captain Gallagher that he had heard of a sex worker ring somewhere in Texas, and he and Phillips decided that they didn't want to work for a living. So the two men planned on going to Texas and killing whoever was running the ring, and then the two would then take over the operation, and the women would work for them.
1: Oh, sure, just like that's how that works. Always, there's never like a huge fallout. Dumb. Uh, yeah, no, they're just like, oh, the new guys showed up and they want to take over. Yeah, of course, go right ahead, sir. To essentially
0: start like a gang war. Yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. That's kosher. Party of two, we have a table for you right
1: here. Of course. <laughs>
0: I'm so sorry. Did you want did you want this sex worker ring for yourself? My mistake. <laughs> uh, however, they decide that before they follow through with this ridiculous fucking plan, they have to know for certain that they can take a life. So they came up with a plan to send Philip's girlfriend, Thelma, out to bars and find a mark. And whoever she brought home was gonna die. Thelma met Andre at the bar, and the two seemed to hit it off well enough that when she asked for a ride home, he agreed to give her one. That, and that by all accounts, Andre was a legit as fuck decent human being. When he got back to Thelma's apartment, Gervais and Phillips grabbed a claw hammer out of Andre's truck, and the two men took turns beating Andre over the head with it. And because apparently that wasn't enough, Gervais and Phillips then tied a vacuum cord around Andre's neck and suffocated him to death. Ah! Mm Mm-hmm. Monique.
1: Yeah. You know you were the paranormal story this week and not the true crime story, right?
0: I know, I know, I know, but we're getting to it. I know. (sighs) Okay. But this whole situation is giving me major, like, Mark Kilroy, Adolfo Constanzo, and the narco-satanist vibes from episode two of, like, how he literally just went out to a bar and, you know, the chick was just out looking for human sacrifice and he just... Again, this is this is just a tragic case of being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Ugh. And Andre was picked at random and senselessly killed as a dress rehearsal of sorts. Fuck. I know. In their statement, they said they really didn't even care if he had any money or not. Oh. Andre was picked up just so that these two pieces of shit could see if they could kill someone. That's so upsetting. That's so deeply, deeply upsetting. You know, and it's that thing I was... I was listening to an episode of last podcast recently. They're doing a story about this guy who's a fucking moron and has murdered like 12 people. And they said a thing that it like hadn't occurred to me. They said something to the effect of you could just be like nailing your life and living your life. And some dumb fuck could come like just come in and just fuck it all up and just like destroy you and ruin your life. Yeah. Just because you're there. Yeah. And not because you did anything wrong.
1: But just because you're, yeah, the one they ran into that day when they decided they were going to do this thing. Yeah.
0: And that's so upsetting and fucked up, but it's also so true. And it's just part of that thing of like how we don't actually have control of the things we think we do. Yes. Yes. Like I I think about this all the time. Like when you go to the subway, when you're like on a, on a train platform, you're just trusting everyone to not push you in front of the train (gasps) all of the time.
1: I like weirdly love you for saying that because I think it literally every time. Like I actually prefer to stand with my back to one of the walls if I can, or like the stairwell portion, because I'm genuinely afraid that somebody is just going to get a whim and decide I'm the person that they want to push in front of the train. Too real, Monique. Why are you like exposing
0: my deepest
1: fears (laughs) right now?
0: No, but it's something like... Like if you actually take a second to think about how often we put our lives in other people's hands on like a daily second to second basis, you wouldn't leave the house. It's like super fucked up.
1: Yeah. I know. I already don't want to leave the house, Monique. I don't need this to encourage me anymore.
0: Like I definitely, this is not great. I definitely unbeknownst to me, left the gas on in my apartment (gasps) for a very extended period of time. Mm -hmm. Done it. Woke up to it And
1: I don't usually wake up in the middle of the night. For some reason that night I woke up and went to the bathroom and I was like, the house smells weird. And then I was like, oh fuck, the gas stove has been on for the last like five hours while we've been sleeping.
0: Oh no, it's definitely was more than that. It was definitely more than that. It was, I don't know how I'm not dead, but like, for instance, like I'm dumb as fuck. I'm not a fucking Betty Crocker. I could have just cooked some shit, lit my apartment on fire, lit the other apartments on fire, blown the entire fucking, and like, We're all living in this like unspoken agreement that we're not going to do that.
1: We're going to try our best to not intentionally or accidentally kill one another.
0: Yeah. But like, if you actually take a second to think about all of the times on a daily basis, you put your life in the hands of complete fucking strangers. Yeah. Just assuming they're not going to kill you or harm you. Yeah. It's you would never leave your house sorry to put that, (laughs) put that on you, but it's true. And it's fucked up. No, I mean, that's factual. It's very true. It's totally factual. Yeah.
1: I mean, I feel like I have a similar situation whenever I just like randomly start thinking about aneurysms and the fact that like, yeah, that could just happen. And you would have no idea. And it could just like, at any point in time, that could be the thing that just takes you out.
0: My very good friend, her brother happened to him. He's like 43, just boom, aneurysm. So crazy. Yeah. And the worst part about that situation is that they had been like estranged for several years, but she was like that there was always the like intention that they would figure it out and they never got that. So there's no time like the present. You never know people. There's no time like the present. You never fucking yeah. know. None of this shit's guaranteed. So to continue with the awfulness <laughs> of my story, um, this isn't funny. It's just my defense mechanisms are like no flaring because of, of all of the truthness, the truthiness that was just dropped. Captain Gallagher noted that Gervais showed no remorse. He wasn't sorry for what he had done and seemed unbothered that he had brutally and senselessly murdered someone and destroyed a family. After Gervais confessed, both men were charged with first-degree murder and an arrest warrant was issued for their accomplice, 21-year-old Selma Horn. That's another thing. They're 21 to 24, the people who perpetrated this crime. Like, oh babies your brains aren't even fully formed yet they're not exactly and i just can't imagine oh, no it like none of this was said but i have to and look preemptively before anyone comes for me for the statement i'm going to say i know that there are plenty of people who enjoy drugs and recreational drugs and aren't fucking murder like psychopaths and sociopaths. But like, I feel like a Uh, drug situation, most people, yes, (laughs) I would say that. Yes. (laughs) Majority of them. I feel like there has to be a drug situation happening here. Oh, like, because this is so fucking nuts and crazy to be 21 years old, 24 years old. It does seem
1: like very, um, disassociative.
0: Yes, absolutely. And almost like, like a coked out, like rage out thing. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't know. Something might be happening. Wouldn't put it past him. It could also just be me trying to explain something that does not have an explanation because I'm trying to make sense of uh, the senseless. I get that. Yeah. There's also probably that. Andre's body was found stuffed in the back of a sofa on a strip of sandy beach off of Manchac Swamp. His autopsy revealed signs of strangulation and 11 skull fractures due to the claw hammer. Oh, I know. It's all really bad.
1: It's really bad. I don't want to know what side of the hammer they used because both sides are terrible. But I'm assuming they mentioned that because it's the claw side, which is extra awful.
0: That's what I'm going to assume. That's the assumption. (sighs) Okay. Andre's brother, Chris, heartbreakingly said, you know, I never dreamed he would be dead. We needed to believe he was alive. We needed to believe that we could find him. We needed to believe that, you know, that we could help. And so we really thought we were, you know. We thought we were going to find him alive. I thought we were. But it didn't work out that way. But at least we were able to find him and find the people who committed the crime. End quote. Andre Daigle was 27 years old. So here's the rub. Even though Gervais had confessed to murdering Andre, both men could still plead not guilty in court because if the defendant doesn't take the stand and doesn't testify on his own behalf, you cannot use his statement against him, which I didn't fucking know. What? And if that's the case, what the fuck is the fucking point of a confession? Why does
1: anyone testify in court then? Like, I would just be like, no, I'm not testifying. Literally. I didn't know that was an option. I thought you had to testify in your own case because- you're on trial. You don't have to testify in your own case?
0: No, I, I know you don't have to testify in your own case. It's actually super advised that you don't. Is it just like pleading the fifth or no? But I thought if you, made, if you confessed, and I also know that this court was confessions, blah, blah, blah. But I thought if you confess, then that is admissible in court, even if you don't testify like on your own behalf. Yeah. Also, it's very possible that this is a Louisiana legal law and not like um, federal law. I don't know. Your Honor, I'm just a caveman. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It's some Bayou, Bayou Justice I'm not familiar with.
0: Okay. We need a CSI that's Bayou Justice
1: right <laughs> I now. Actually, I feel like that probably exists already. I don't feel like I'm making that up.
0: The sidekick has to be an alligator. Oh, of course. I need like four seasons of it right now. Bayou Justice.
1: I'm literally looking it up because I don't believe it's not already a <laughs> show. Ho- oh. Wait. Okay. It is a book. (laughs) Tell me everything. Okay. It's a three series. It's a three book series. I take it back. Make it a show, people. Bayou Justice. It's catchy. This book.
0: Bayou Justice. Are we doing uh, another fucking horror podcast book club? I'm reading Bayou (laughs) Justice. (laughs) And Amy will finish it in a day and I'll finish it in six months. No. No, we just need to turn it into a fucking show. Yes, correct.
1: Because that's what I have time for. I already do-
0: 21 minutes. Yeah. I love
1: us, but we already have enough homework for this. We
0: have so much homework.
1: Yeah. (laughs) We don't need required reading on top of required essays.
0: But if anyone has read Bayou Justice- Give us the deets. Yeah, let us know. Give a girl the hot goss. Oh my God, Bayou Justice. I love this. I love everything about that. Dun, dun, dun. No, but, I mean, it's, it literally has to be the same thing as, was it CSI, was it Miami? Where they have the, like, um, the, like, airboats.
1: Yes. That's what I'm picturing. I don't know what that's from, but I'm picturing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then there has to be, like, crawfish and shit. And then you see, like, Mardi Gras beads. I don't know. I'm yeah, very, like I'm,
1: Bourbon Street, some jazz players. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm very down to workshop this. Oh, I'm into it. Bye, you Justice. Bye, Justice. Oh, I was genuinely shocked. That wasn't already a show, honestly. Dick Wolf, what the fuck are you doing, man? Right? Get on it, dude. It writes itself. Girl.
0: Okay. So I don't understand this, this legal precedent. I don't understand this. I don't, I don't know if it's a New Orleans-specific legal thing. It's Louisiana. No further questions, Your Honor. Oh, uh, sorry, Louisiana. Thank you. I have no idea. If anyone's a lawyer, let us know, because I am not one, obviously. However, given that Louisiana is a death penalty state, Gervais realizes that if he pleads not guilty in court, he could be looking at the electric chair. So he pleads guilty and is sentenced to life in prison. But Thelma Horn and Michael Phillips take their chances and plead not guilty and opt for a trial. In gathering evidence to put away these sacks of shit for good, Chris tells Captain Gallagher that it was a psychic's vision that led them to their brother's whereabouts and uncovered his killers. So Gallagher reluctantly called Rosemarie, who recounted the details of her vision. She told him that she could feel a long bridge or freeway to her right, high above her, that there was a railroad track on the other side, that there were marshes and a swamp there, and that the number seven kept coming in very strongly. After speaking with Rosemarie, a very skeptical Captain Gallagher traveled back to the location where Andre's body was found, which happened to be off of the highway's exit number seven. The long bridge she described was I-55, which runs 24 miles and is elevated through a swamp. And she indicated that there'd be water all around Andre, which there was, not to mention the pounding of her head and how Andre was struck 11 times in the head with a claw hammer and that she told the Daigles that Andre was in Slidell, a town she had never heard of and a state she'd never been to. Gallagher said, quote, She had a lot of details that no other way she could have gotten them. She didn't get them from us. She didn't get them from the media. And it just, I was amazed. But I became a believer after talking with her. End quote. Louisiana District Attorney W.J. LeBlanc agreed and believed that Rosemary's testimony was key to the case. LeBlanc said, quote, When I first took the case, I really didn't have an expectation that the psychic would testify. I read through the file. It was almost too fantastic to believe in terms of what role she played in the apprehension of these individuals. But I did want to meet her to verify that that is exactly what happened. When I met with her and we discussed exactly what she did and how she did, I realized how compelling it was and the jury really needed to hear it. The jury needed to hear why the family left River Ridge and drove to Slidell and how they just happened to run across their missing family member's truck with the killers in it. From an evidentiary standpoint, there were some people in my office who were skittish about using a psychic during trial. My position was that she was a fact witness, and based upon what she saw, someone else relayed that information to someone else, which led to the arrests of the defendants. End quote. Because of her accuracy— Rose Marie became the first psychic in U.S. history to be asked to testify in a murder trial and describe how her visions helped solve a murder. Court reporter for The Times' Picayune, Richard Boyd, said, quote, This case in many ways was a sort of Bellwether case in establishing psychic involvement as an important forensic tool in conducting investigations in cases that were very difficult. In my 10 years of covering courts, It was the most amazing, astounding chain of circumstances that I ever ran across. End quote. On February 2nd, 1988, Michael Phillips' trial began, and the DA laid out how Phillips and Gervais ambushed an unsuspecting Andre, with the two men beating him with a claw hammer and strangling him before wrapping his body in a curtain, hiding it in the back of a couch, and discarding it in a swampy marsh below a causeway. While the evidence against the two men was already compelling, Rosemarie was called to the stand to help seal the prosecution's case. Court reporter Richard Boyd said, quote, you could hear a pin drop in that courtroom. I mean, people were just enraptured by and just totally focused on her, end quote. District Attorney LeBlanc echoed the sentiment saying, quote, there was total and complete silence during her testimony. Never heard anything like that before, end quote. Rosemarie detailed her vision that led to Andre's truck and how her vision not only matched where Andre's body was found, but what had happened to him. Faced with the evidence, and certain he was fucked six-way to Sunday, and definitely looking at a date with the electric chair, Michael Phillips changed his plea to guilty. Thelma Horn was found guilty of second-degree murder in a separate trial. Because of Rosemary Kerr's testimony, Charles Gervais, Michael Phillips, and Thelma Horn were all sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. A few years after Gervais was imprisoned, however, he either flew off the deep end or was trying his crack at the insanity defense, claiming that the murder had actually been part of an initiation into a cult of satanic worshipers, which, sure, Jan. Also, this is the 80s.
1: Satanic panic. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Like, stop, sure, Jan. Get the fuck out of here. This was followed by a complaint that he was denied the right to practice his religion in jail because he was trying to do satanic rituals in jail. And uh, FYI, this complaint was promptly disregarded. (laughs) (laughs) The audacity is some shit. District Attorney LeBlanc said, quote, that was the first time that a psychic has ever testified in a criminal trial. And to my knowledge, I don't think one has ever testified since. It was a fairly unique set of circumstances that led to her testifying in the trial because Andre Daigle was a very special young man. And there was just this feel about the trial that everything was coming together to see that Andre's killers were brought to justice. And I think that Rosemary's testimony was a big part of that, end quote. In the last bit of Psychic Investigators, which was the source that I withheld. Oh, shit. hmm Chris said of his brother, quote, Andre was a great brother. You know, if you ever needed his help, he was there for you. You know, he was just a wonderful guy, thoughtful, kind, gentle, you know, after the funeral and people would just walk up to me, you know, guys we went to high school with, you know, I mean, there were a hundred guys who came up to me and said, Andre was my best friend. I'm going to miss Andre. He was my best friend. I mean, he was everybody's best friend, you know, I mean, that's quite impressive, you know, to hear that from people. You know, his life was cut so short, I don't know if he if he had the time to even figure that out. End quote. Andre was buried at Garden of Memory Cemetery in Metairie Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. His tombstone reads, Andre John Daigle, loved by so many. February 29th, 1960 to June 10th, 1987. As for Rosemary Kerr, she gained a bit of celebrity appearing on TV shows like Psychic Witness, Psychic Detective, and Psychic Investigator, as well as talk shows detailing her experience, making contact with the other side. She also continued to help out law enforcement with other murder cases. And until her death on March 16, 2015, Rosemarie stayed in touch with the Daigles, claiming to still be in contact with Andre and relaying any messages from him to the Daigle family. And that is the story of Rosemary Kerr and the psychic who not only helped law enforcement solve a murder, but also became the first. And from what I could find, the only psychic in U.S. history to be brought in to testify at a murder trial. Holy shit. Yeah. What the fuck, dude? Dude, what the fuck? I love that. I know. Also a fun little like tidbit. So Rosemary lived in Escondido, California. And escondido means hidden in Spanish. (gasps) Ooh. Right. And she like would find hidden people essentially. I love that so, so much. I mean, same. That's why I included it.
1: Girl. Also, I really like this because I have family that lives in Slidell. So I actually know where that is and I've been there. And
0: so this was like a fun little like personal touch for me look at that. So now you could call them up and be like, hey, remember this shit. <laughs> remember this shit? They, this? I don't think they live. Yeah. Yeah. Be like, want me to ruin your day? Remember this.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Afterwards, you can go and get a daiquiri at a drive through daiquiri place because that exists in Louisiana.
0: Right, exactly. And just drink it away. You know, it's interesting because when I was researching this and how she was doing her how she was communicating what she was seeing and what she was feeling. It reminded me a lot of when I went to get a a seance, when I went to the seance in New Orleans a few years ago with a a male friend of mine. And the two things that really stuck out to me were one, the first thing she told me, because she was like, okay, like who do you want to connect to? And it's like, just tell me their first name and how long ago they passed. So I said, Julio, who's my grandfather. And it was however many years ago that he passed five years or some shit like that. And she took a second and she was like, the first thing that he's showing me is an image, is a, a vision of you dancing with him. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And she was so steadfast on it. She would not bend on it. She's like, no, that's what he's showing me. He's showing me you in a big dress and you're dancing with him. And then I was like, oh my God, I know exactly what that is. And then the other thing is that with the, the man I went with, she would be like, my leg hurts. Why does my leg hurt? And then he would be like, oh, because this person like wore like a leg brace and shit like that. Like it was like crazy shit like that. What? I love that. I mean, I loved it so much. I don't think I'm going to go back anytime soon because I've I've recently and repeatedly bereaved a lot this year. Yes. (laughs) And there's way too many people. uh, It's very fresh. It's way too many people to talk to. But maybe in a few years, I would be down to go back and be like, how are all these people doing? What's up? Now that it's not. So traumatizing. Thank you. Yeah. Now that I like, don't just sob at the drop of the hat about it, but yeah, I mean, can you imagine being on this fucking jury and they're like, Hey girl, we're going to bring out a fucking psychic as basically like an expert witness, a factual witness, evidentiary witness. Being like, we found all of this shit because this chick, 2,000 miles away, told us it would be there. I mean,
1: that's the fucking trial?
0: It's like a dream jury duty situation.
1: Literally. If I'm going to get called for jury duty, like, this is the trial I want to get called on. Yes. Thank you.
0: If there's not a fucking psychic on the witness stand, I don't want to fucking be called in for jury duty. Can I make that request? No.
1: Absolutely not. No. Thank you. No. No. I was like, I'll fill that out on the little bottom of my little form that I have to send back in to be like, hey, P.S., psychics only. I
0: only attend if there's psychics. Psychics only.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: I fucking love that story.
1: Thank you. You know
0: me. I love a good psychic story. Same. Especially since the last one I really covered was Sylvia Brown, who's a colossal piece of shit. Who, yeah, was a huge fraud. Yeah. So to be like, nah. Okay. But I will say... Tell me. If you YouTube Rosemarie Kerr and it's R-O-S-E-M-A-R-I-E-K-E-R-R, Rosemarie Kerr, there is like an interview that she does on, I forgot what's the name of the fucking show, but it's outrageous. It's like public access. The woman interviewing her is like an SNL character. Yes. It's like not even, like, it's insane. The hair is insane. How She speaks like Stewart's mom. <laughs> store. Like it's outrageous. It's everything I'm here for. Yes. She's the worst interviewer in the history of interviewers. She doesn't engage with Rosemary and Rosemary is very like warm and lovely and engaging. And it's basically like just the facts, ma'am. We're just sticking to like the cue cards that I'm reading off of. We're not going to like, it is, I was like, this cannot be real. And she, this woman is like the, the Reverend of some spiritualist church, the, the which I've been to, and it's a total crock. Sorry, but it's insane. Just, it's called Psychic Experience Show Number Sixty Three. It's insane. This woman is wearing like a Josephine Bonaparte Empire waist dress. Yes, she has the 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 table in between the two of them. It's like this is like between two friends level the table between the two of them has like a gold lame tablecloth with like a beige lace overlay and then two of those like angels that you put at the top of your christmas tree like on it and you're like is this fucking real life because i don't think so except it is for like how many minutes how fucking long is this (laughs) Except this is happening. 28 minutes and 31 fucking seconds. It's fucking insane. And it's like, it, it literally, if they put it on SNL, you would have no idea that it wasn't an SNL skit. It's outrageous. I'm so weirdly here for this. So I have to watch this. Yeah, no, I'll send it to you. It's insane.
1: Of course it is. Of course it fucking is. It sounds insane. <laughs> it is. But I'm here for it. I love, I love some insanity.
0: I mean, yeah. I haven't watched a lot of public access. Admittedly. Uh, no one should. I have a friend of mine who has a show on public access, so I'd try to watch that. But uh, other than that, I haven't. My, my point of reference is Wayne's World
1: <laughs> for public access. I was just going to say because all <laughs> I think of is
0: of course. Wayne's World when I think of public
1: access. Speaking of SNL characters, yeah. I mean, yes. Schwing, uh,
0: what a great fucking movie. It's amazing. They're so good. Uh, so good. Psychic Experience Show, number 63. YouTube that shit. It's crazy. Done. Cued up, girl. It's on the fucking list. Yes. Thank
1: you so, so much for that story. I really enjoyed it.
0: For sure. I mean, it was very heavy on the crime. It was very heavy on the crime. For the record,
1: heavier than my crime. And I have the true crime portion. So now I'm like, fuck, did I like... I went really tough last week. You went so tough last week. And then I was like, I can't go tougher because then I always feel like I'm like trying to one-up Monique. And I'm like, like you're traumatizing people. Like I'm traumatizing people.
0: I mean, yeah, but I don't have a problem with that because it doesn't seem, (laughs) it's. I, I don't know how to explain why I don't have a problem with it.
1: I get it because it's not really.
0: Because it doesn't come from you being like, fuck Monique. It's like, oh, is this the train we're on? Yeah. Let's go.
1: Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Is this what we're doing? Like, I I have to keep up. So I need to, like, make it crazy. (laughs) But no, I just, like, I was like, ah, just do the story you want to do. Don't don't try to, like, keep up with Monique on this one. And now... Do the story you want to do. Well, I mean, I have to because I can't change it now, Monique. So (laughs) I can't make it more horrifying all of a sudden. So... You're stuck with it.
0: It's okay. You need more horror. Come back and listen to my shit.
1: Yeah. Because it was very intense. Yeah. It was nothing like my puny little ghost house last week. I loved your ghost house. Thank you. That's just because you're wonderful.
0: It's funny because last podcast, there was a similar thing. They did a story about it. Not, Not the ghost house, but there was a thing that was very similar of like, of people seeing a thing that wasn't there. I don't know if it was a house or a street or what. Love it. There's last week's uh, side stories. Shit. There's a whole thing. So I guess it'd be two weeks ago by the time you guys read this. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this is like the ghost house. It's like, we just talked about this. But it was like a very recent thing of people saying that they saw a thing that like isn't there. Fuck, I'm very behind on my last podcast listening. I'll have to get that. I'll have to get that a listen. Yeah. I could also just look it up at some point and tell you what the fuck they were talking about.
1: I mean, that's how I get most of my true crime and paranormal information, Monique, is that I wait for you to summarize it for me and then tell me. <laughs> Thank you. I have time to be reading all these stories, Monique. I want you to digest it and give it to me in a palatable form. Thank you.
0: That's like me. I-, I wanted to do one about like a crime-solving psychic. So did I read like 14 stories before I landed on this one? Yeah, I did. Yes. Yeah. a fucking course. Because I was like, this is kind of bullshit. Who cares?
1: (laughs) Yes, I totally get that. I literally got this story because I was reading a completely unrelated article about a 725 pound diamond. And this was like a little one-off fucking comment about one of the detectives that literally made me stop everything. And I literally was like, I'm sorry. Haven't I heard about this before? I've been living under a stupid rock,
0: apparently. I love everything about this. Tell it to me right now. Right now. Yeah. Okay. Right now. Yes. You got it, girl. Yes.
1: Yes. So I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. This might be totally normal information for you. And you, I might bring this up and you're going to be like, yeah, Amy, I fucking know. But I had no idea this happened, and I was fucking here for it. So, <laughs> I, love this. I love it already. Girl, sources. Dateline.com, TheDailyBeast.com, CNN.com, HuffPost.com, HollywoodReporter.com, IMDB.com, The... Lauren which is a blog by the, quote, cult classic martial arts action star and, quote, Lauren Avedon. I don't know who that is particularly. Who the fuck is that? I'm assuming he's been in some, like, weird random kind of, like... B-rate. Oh, hi, Mark. Cult movies, like Kung Fu music, something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that was perfect. Thank you, Mommy. Thank you. I love you. Got you. I love you. And good old Wikipedia. Mm. So Garrett Warren is a certifiable badass. Even after losing half of his right lung in an operation as a kid.
0: Holy fuck.
1: Girl, yeah. Garrett went on to become a fifth degree black belt and a three-time world martial arts champion. And if that wasn't cool enough, After he moved from Boston to Los Angeles in 1990 to help a friend set up a karate school, he was hired as a stunt double on the CBS drama, The Raven, and officially began his career as a stuntman. For the next eight years, Garrett Warren made a name for himself in the stunt industry and started rubbing elbows with the rich and famous. Some friends introduced him to model and actress Claudia Harrow at a country club in Lake Sherwood, and the two hit it off immediately. Claudia was known for playing the showgirl Trudy in the 1995 movie Casino and was married to her fellow co-star from that movie, Joe Pesci, for three years before the two split amicably. Garrett and Claudia got married in March of 1998 and had a daughter the following December. Things were great in the beginning, but Garrett's work as a stuntman required a lot of traveling and with the constant distance between them, their relationship quickly unraveled. When things were good, they were great but when they were bad, they were really bad. Unfortunately, once the relationship went south, it went fast, and after a year and a half, the two decided to split up and file for divorce. And calling this a contentious divorce would be putting it mildly. An ugly custody battle ensued, but despite the heated divorce, Garrett's life seemed to be on the upswing. His career was really starting to take off since he landed a job on the Charlie's Angels movie with Drew Barrymore, Lucy Liu, and Cameron Diaz, which, loved that movie. As a teenager, I was admittedly way too obsessed with it.
0: Loved it. I also loved the second one for two reasons. Justin Thoreau and Justin Thoreau. And is Sam Rockwell in the second one now? Or is he in the first one?
1: Oh, I think you're right. He is in the second one. Yes. Sorry. Also, yes, Sam Rockwell. Yes. Uh, so
0: Correct. that was like my introduction to Sam Rockwell, which is very embarrassing. Very embarrassing. I don't know.
1: Oh, okay. Still, like, girl, you're welcome for that being the introduction because... Absolutely.
0: And then when he, like, turns into, like, baddie Sam Rockwell, because he starts out being, like, super nerdy and whatever, and then he's like, I'm actually, like, a bad guy. And... The like intro to him is he's playing Marvin Gaye's Got to Give It Up, which is a wildly sexy song. And the first time I'd also heard that song was in Charlie's Angels part two. Yes. So many firsts. I love that. Sam
1: Rockwell's amazing.
0: Love him so much.
1: Yes. So yeah, this is a huge, like one huge deal because that's a great movie. Two, as like a stuntman, there's a fucking million stunts in that movie. So kudos to you, Garrett.
0: And it was a big movie.
1: Yeah. Fuck yeah. That's a very big movie. So Garrett's life is going great. He has a job on this movie and the judge had finally granted Garrett shared custody of their two-year-old daughter, which was a big deal throughout the divorce. One month later, on May 20th, 2000, Garrett had his mother over and his daughter was spending her first overnight since custody had been settled. He was living in Westlake Village, California at the time and had just put his daughter down to sleep when he heard someone start frantically ringing the doorbell. Garrett went to answer. He cracked the door open a little bit and saw a man he didn't recognize outside. When he asked if he could help the stranger, he asked Garrett if the silver car in the driveway was his. The man seemed nervous and Garrett knew instinctively that something was wrong. But thinking the man must have just hit his car or something, he opened the door to get a better look. What he saw instead was a revolver in the man's right hand. Ugh. Yeah. Raising the gun, the man fired three shots, hitting Garrett in the chest, neck, and then left hip. When Garrett fell back behind the door, his attacker followed and put the gun to Garrett's head. Wait, is his daughter with him in the house? His daughter's in the house. He, like, just put her down and, like, closed the bedroom door. So she's, like, behind a closed door. But she's in the house and his mom's in the house with him as well. Yes.
0: Fucking terrified. I mean, I already have a hypothesis. Girl, I
1: mean, knowing you, probably nailed it. So like shut your mouth. You're too smart for your own <laughs> okay. good, Monique. I love you, but shut your face. <laughs> no, I know Monique's right. That's why I won't let her say anything right now. <laughs> You're
0: ruining it, Monique. i have not ruined. it. I've ruined nothing. No, no,
1: you never ruin anything. I love you.
0: Dead men tell no tales. I ruin nothing. I love you.
1: I love you. So... The man put the gun to Garrett's head. Garrett flinched when he saw the man pull the trigger. But instead of killing him instantly, the bullet hit him in his right eye, came out of his ear, and lodged into the wall behind him. Monique. Yes. Monique is shocked. Her jaw is dropped. She's like an f- inch away from the computer screen. Because
0: yes. Oh my God. I, the thought of that, I know. I know. I'd be like, please kill me. I just, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like, this is a lot. This is, I can't do this. I can't have you shoot me in my eye and have it come out my ear and, and still be alive. Please just be a better shot. What the fuck? Like, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> I just spit drink all over myself because of that. But no, it was totally worth it. Yes, correct, Monique. Ugh. Yes. No, <laughs> you really did spill it oh, all right. Yes, I smelled it everywhere. I'm like literally wiping my face with my skirt right now, like an animal. I can't. <laughs> I never said I was classy, Monique. That's why I love you. Yeah, because I'm not classy at all. Amazing. So having heard the gunshots, Garrett's mother ran to see what was happening. The gunman took two shots at her, but missed and... Because it's a revolver, he's out of bullets, so he decided to flee. As Garrett's mother tried to stop the bleeding, he called 911. While they waited for emergency services to arrive, Garrett told his mother that he loved her and that he'd see her on the other side. Ugh. I know. But she refused to accept this, saying, don't you fucking die. You've been a fighter all your life. Fight one more time. I love that. Oh, my God. I know. I loved it so much. And Garrett said hearing his mother, who apparently never cursed, drop a hard F-bomb, hit him harder than the bullets, and he promised her he would stay. <gasps> shit. Yes. Oh, shit. like, oh my god, mom. mom. All right. I
0: won't die then. Are we, are we doing the f thing right now? Okay. Wow. I didn't know this called for f Jeez. You're being very tense. I'll live. Okay just go easy on the effing, please.
1: <laughs> you have to put a quarter in the swear jar for that when we're done with
0: the hospital. A crisp George Washington. <laughs> Plink. Right in there. This year. New. Yes.
1: <laughs> Suffering from four point blank gunshot wounds, Garrett was in critical condition when he arrived at Northridge Hospital Medical Center. His jaw was broken, and doctors removed what was left of his right eye. But don't forget, Garrett was a certifiable badass, so he wasn't going to let a little thing like being shot four times take him out, especially since he had gotten incredibly lucky and none of the shots had hit any arteries or vital organs. Although the bullet that had hit his chest had passed right by his heart before getting stuck in his rib cage, where it still remains today. I don't know why I could not figure out whether it was like too dangerous to remove it. But he says it is literally still inside of him.
0: I mean, that was a big thing uh, back in the day, uh, like in the civil war and stuff. A lot of people died getting their bullets removed. Like if they just left it in there, it'd be fine.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Your body's like, oh, it's a foreign object. I'm not crazy about it. But they would like dig around in you with dirty tools to fucking pull it out. They don't know what they're doing. And they're like
0: dirty fucking fingers with dirt and bullshit on it, dysentery or whatever the fuck. This is a man who's, like, also a
1: barber. Like, he's not really qualified. Come on. Barber slash operator slash murderer. Yes. Slash dentist. Like, whatever you decided
0: today. I think the murderer, like, just happened to be the case. I was like, well, he didn't survive. (laughs) Eh. Might as well add that to the resume i'm a multi-hyphenate it's like dust off my hands yeah bring up the next guy let's do this
1: I'm a multi-hyphenate <laughs> just i just threw a murder on there it's fun i love you
0: Dave. i need new business cards multi-hyphenate
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm a murderer now <laughs> i've got a promotion hey <laughs> Despite the extent of his injuries, Garrett Warren was incredibly lucky and with physical therapy was set to make a full recovery. When police questioned Garrett after his attack, he told them he hadn't recognized the shooter, but described him as a stocky man around five foot nine or ten, possibly Italian, with short, dark hair and a goatee. Wasn't the
0: goatee enough of a crime?
1: <laughs> I love you. <laughs> yes.
0: So suspicious. I mean, where's the fucking lie, Amy?
1: Yes. Thank you. Mm hmm. When they asked who might have wanted him dead, Garrett said his ex-wife without hesitation. Mm -hmm. Quote, there was no one else I thought would have done it, end quote. But when detectives interviewed Claudia Harrow on the night of the attack, she denied any involvement, provided them with an alibi, and seemed genuinely concerned for Garrett. After questioning Claudia, the police told Garrett that they didn't believe that she had been involved, and he accepted their judgment and just decided to let it go. Immediately, investigators started looking into other possible suspects. They thought maybe Warren crossed someone in business transaction or was a victim of somebody's road rage, which would explain why the shooter had asked him about his silver Volvo. But none of these panned out. Not long after, authorities received an anonymous letter suggesting Garrett had enemies, that there were some people involved at the gym that Garrett had some kind of relationship with that might be of interest to detectives and that they might want to question these people. Detectives followed up on the lead, but even though they checked out every name, nothing came up and everything turned out to be a dead end. Knowing the shooter was still at large and traumatized from the attack, Garrett was convinced the shooter would return to finish the job. He started wearing a bulletproof vest and went so far as to install pressure-sensitive plates along the perimeter of his property. He even put scotch tape on his door and gas cap so he could tell if someone had messed with them he was terrified that someone was going to come back and try to finish the job. When the case ran cold, Garrett gave up hope of there ever being an arrest and decided to just chalk it up to life experience and move on. That's some
0: fucked up life
1: experience. Holy shit. Right? Also, again, certifiable badass. He's just like, ugh, I got shot. Like, guess I'll just go back to work. It's fine.
0: It happens. It does not, Garrett. Uh Uh-uh. It does not happen.
1: No. But... It was hard to forget. No
0: shit. He doesn't have a fucking eye. How the fuck are you going to forget that? Yeah,
1: seriously. He looks pretty badass in the eye patch, for the record. Like... I bet he got some tail with that. Hell yeah. I'd be into it. Girl, I'm kind of... I, yeah, I totally get it. I saw the picture. I was like, oh, okay. i are like, okay,
0: all right. I'd fuck with that. Yeah.
1: Even a year after the shooting, Garrett still faced multiple surgeries and a painful rehabilitation process. But never one to sit idly by, he returned to work as a personal trainer at the gym he owned during his recovery, and things slowly got back to normal. He continued sharing custody and maintained a regular visitation schedule with his daughter. Him and Claudia were on speaking terms and seemed actually friendly. Despite his injuries, Garrett returned to stunt work after his recovery, and his career seemed to only improve as a result. By the way... He did the stunts on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which I knew you would love. Oh, as a fun factoid. I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Say no more.
0: Hey, he was legit at Charlie's Angels. I know. I know. And now Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Ah, love that movie. Girl, if you haven't seen it, watch it immediately. Watch it. Monique introduced me to it.
1: It's amazing. I loved it. It's so good. It's so good. But the case remained cold for two full years. Damn. Girl, I know. Then on March 14, 2002, the San Bernardino police arrested a restaurant owner and drug dealer named Miguel Quiroz. While searching his Mercedes for narcotics, detectives discovered an envelope hidden in his trunk beneath the spare tire. Inside the envelope was a photo of Garrett Warren that had been taken from a Stuntman directory and directions to the house he moved to after the shooting. The letter had been postmarked from Hollywood, California on October 18, 2001, almost a year and a half after Garrett had been shot. The envelope and its contents were immediately sent to the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department for their investigation. Police believed that they'd found the gunman, and when Garrett identified Miguel Quiriz as the shooter from a photo and a live lineup, they were convinced and charged him with attempted murder. Mm -hmm. But things quickly began to unravel. First, Quiriz was much smaller than the man Garrett had described as the shooter. And during his preliminary hearing in December 2003, multiple witnesses swore that he was 90 miles away at his restaurant, B&J's Pizza, in Ranchero Cucamongo on the night of the shooting. And these weren't just like his friends and family. These were customers who testified that he had been there.
0: I have a theory. How am not going to say it? <laughs> Again, Monique, you're too... I don't know. I don't
1: know. On point all the time
0: i know i don't know i don't know that i am but my face is
1: shut shut your face i love you you're beautiful you're beautiful and brilliant but shut your face the face is shut (laughs) (laughs) thank you by everyone's account kiddos was just a nice middle-class guy that everybody in the community loved he wasn't a hired gun or in a gang he just owned a pizza parlor also kiddos was left handed. Well, the shooter had been described by Garrett as being right-handed. So police realized that Kira's wasn't the shooter, but they were pretty sure that he was still involved and most likely knew who the gunman was. But it wasn't until March 2004 that Kira's admitted to detectives his part in the failed attempt to kill Garrett Warren. After he did, he agreed to wear a wire in exchange for lesser charges. Kira's met with the man he said had performed the hit Jorge Hernandez. Jorge was reported as saying, "Quote: I apologize, dude. I'm not a good shot. We'll finish it off if that's what you need." End quote. Which, like, I don't know that that's the tone he said it in, but that's the tone I read it in, and I laughed more than I probably should have at that. Of just like, I'm sorry, dude. Like, I I don't know what happened. It was like, I I can't aim. I don't know. I told you, I'm a bad shot.
0: It's definitely giving me it in Dumb and Dumber when. Lloyd says that he sold Petey, the parrot or parakeet. And then Harry's like, Petey didn't have a head. And he's like, Harry, I took care of it. And then the next scene is like, is the like the blind kid, like playing with the parakeet. And he's like duct taped the head back onto the parakeet's body. It's like, Harry, I took care of it. It's it's a similar vibe. Yeah.
1: That's very much the vibe of, this whole situation but
0: in the opposite of like i didn't get it like it's whatever it's fine (laughs) i'm not a good shot what do you want from me yeah
1: this is definitely dumb and dumber i feel like
0: yeah absolutely
1: kid also provided detectives with a second letter one he said was given to him by claudia harrow a line from the letter said quote not wednesday or saturday my daughter is with him end quote And since Kita's was ratting out pretty much everyone at this point, he also made sure to include his ex-employee, Manuel Manny Harrow, who had helped hatch the scheme and who just so happened to be the younger brother of Claudia Harrow. What a shocker. Yep. On June 29th, 2005, police arrested both Manny Harrow and Jorge Hernandez for the attempted murder of Garrett Warren. Manny Harrow agreed to plead guilty to conspiracy to commit murder and, as part of the plea deal, told authorities he was approached by his sister in February 2000 about taking care of her husband, though he made sure to say that she never specifically said kill or murder. Isn't that what that means? Yes, that is what that means, Monique. But for the record, she never technically said kill. Sure. Yes. She watched Goodfellas and then highly implied it. She did. Yes. The movie (laughs) her ex-husband was in and she took notes. Literally copious
0: notes. Yes. Casino and Goodfellas. Exactly.
1: Uh, yeah. Manny said his sister quote asked if it was guaranteed, will there be some kind of warranty? And if the job wasn't done, would they finish it later? End quote. Not long after, Manny approached a friend about the job that Claudia had contracted him for. The friend's name was Lovell Campbell, and he agreed to find someone to do the job for $6,000. This is 1990
0: what? This is $2,000. $6,000? For a hit, yeah. I'm sorry. We need to pause for the inflation calculator. Okay. It's 10 grand. Still, that's still not enough. That's not enough. That's nothing, yeah. To go to the clink? Forever, maybe?
1: No, fuck no.
0: That's definitely not enough. Absolutely not.
1: But Campbell asked for a gun, directions to Warren's house, and a description of the target. Manny said his sister gave him the first half of the money up front, along with directions, and a description of Warren. But 10 days later, Campbell claimed he couldn't find Warren or his house. Which, how incompetent are you? (laughs) But also later revealed that he was working with the San Bernardino police at the time and had no intention of carrying out the hit. So, when Manny broke the news to his sister that Campbell couldn't do the job, she immediately wanted to know if he could find somebody else. So Manny approached Kidda's about the job, who then hired Hernandez, who allegedly agreed to do the job for $10,000. So, slight discrepancy, again inflation, that's probably what, 14k. Right.
0: Yeah. That's probably what that is. So like in today's money, $10,000. Sure. Manny said that after
1: Claudia realized her husband Garrett had survived the attack, she contacted him. She contacted him wanting to know when the job could be completed Mm. because they botched it the first fucking time. Right. Garrett says he will always remember the day the police told him that his ex-wife was behind the attack on his life. Yeah. He was working on the movie Beowulf when he received a call from detectives. A few days later, they met with him in person to tell him that Claudia's brother, Manny, had implicated her in the attack. They told him that Manny was apologetic and claimed he had been
0: manipulated by his sister. Because it's not bad enough you were working on Beowulf, <laughs> but who gives a fuck? And no one fucking saw that because who gives a fuck? Sorry.
1: <gasps> I saw that in theaters, Modi. How dare you, woman? Are you
0: serious?
1: I... Yes,
0: did. Are you the only person who saw Beowulf and saw it in theaters? I'm
1: probably the only person who saw Beowulf in theaters. Did I like it? No. But I saw it? No. I thought, I don't
0: know. I read it in high school. I
1: probably thought it was going to be sexy and it wasn't.
0: So that's just not No. Me. No. I mean, that does make sense. I could see why you would think that. Yeah, Moni. And thusly want to go see it. No disappointing but he knew he knew it wasn't so imagine working on beowulf and being like oh fuck and then while you're working on this fucking stinker you get the cops calling you be like oh remember that guy who tried to kill you your ex-wife fucking made that shit happen okay thanks bye yeah i hope we didn't carve into your lunch break your union lunch break (laughs) (laughs) you have like a real thing against beowulf i didn't realize okay I just, I thought the story's fine. I, I read the story in high school. It's fine. It was weird. I, there was nothing about that, that trailer that looked remotely appealing to me, let alone to pay for it in a movie theater. <laughs> Angelina
1: Jolie had like high heels built into her feet. I remember that.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Yes. I recall. She's really into the like changing the physique roles. Yes, yes. So like not like with like horns coming out of her face and shit, like weird shit. yeah. Now play for truth, girl. Yes.
1: However, although Manny had implicated his sister, he had not yet agreed to testify against her. Because of this, prosecutors didn't feel the case was strong enough, and the DA's office declined to file charges. So just 48 hours after detectives arrested Claudia, she was back on the street completely free again. So basically they called Garrett up and were like, Hi, yeah, we think your ex-wife did it, and they had to like call him right back and be like, by the way, we think she still did it, but we actually can't arrest her and we're not pressing charges. So good luck with that. Mm -hmm. But just when they thought they didn't have a case, Manny changed his mind and decided to take a plea deal from prosecutors and testify that his sister approached him about killing Garrett. Yes, Manny. Correct. Yes. Thank you. Correct. Move. Yes. Thank you. More than five years after the attack, in December 2005, Claudia Herrera was finally arrested and charged with two counts of attempted murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. Claudia spent almost two years in jail before she was able to post her $1.25 million bail. The following year, in November 2006, Jorge Hernandez was convicted by a Los Angeles jury and was sentenced to 77 years in prison for his attempted murder of Garrett Warren. Bye. Yep when Garrett took the stand during the trial and was asked by a prosecutor how certain he was that Hernandez was the shooter, he replied, quote, I would bet my left eye on it. End
0: quote. Ooh, great line.
1: Great line. I love it. I will say technically he identified as the shooter first, which was incorrect. However, prosecutors believe that was because he was
0: racist and all Spanish people. No, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm being an asshole.
1: (laughs) They actually think that it was just like classic transference because they found a picture of Garrett Warren at like a barbecue with cutas after the shooting. Oh, okay. So they had been to a barbecue together. So when he saw him in the lineup, he was like, I recognize this guy. Sure, sure, sure but he didn't recognize him from the actual shooting. But in his brain, he just was like, I recognize this guy, but I don't know why I recognize him. He must be the shooter. And that was the reason. So it was like, great line. I had to include it, but technically did identify the wrong shooter first. However, Garrett's mother was also able to ID Jorge. And she did that from the very beginning. She never thought Kyra's was the shooter. She always, as soon as she saw him, thought Jorge was the shooter Mm -hmm. on the night before her trial, Claudia Harrow pleaded no contest on two counts of attempted murder. But despite this plea, the trial still seemed bananas. And I would have loved to go Monique like picture this. She comes in wearing super tight blue dress, black high heels, super upset Seems like she's just obsessed she's going to jail more than anything else. Joe Pesci is there. There's a nun in a white habit. She's like holding the nun's hand. Dramatic
0: as fuck. I'm here for all of this.
1: Girl, I know. If there was ever to be a case I wanted to serve jury duty for, it's this.
0: I mean, if it was this, and then on top of that, it's like, and we have our star witness who's a fucking psychic, you'd be like, this is the best fucking case I've ever, I've ever been jury dutyed on ever.
1: I would just be sobbing in the, (laughs) I'd be like, thank you so much. I don't know what I did to deserve this, but thank you. What
0: did I do to deserve this?
1: Also, her defense attorney was Tom Messero, who was best known for defending Michael Jackson. So again, this is the trial I want to be at shit's bananas. Messerow said if Claudia was guilty of anything, it was of having a career criminal for a brother. He claimed Manny was just desperate to maintain his street cred as a drug dealer. And when he got caught, he tried to blame it on his sister. He also said he was convinced that the hit notes allegedly written by Claudia were forgeries. But prosecutors argued that the handwriting on the hit note matched Claudia Harrow's handwriting. And when they compared samples of Claudia's letters to Garrett, They notice the same misspelling of the word Agora as in Agora Hills where Garrett's new home was, which, you know, I have been obsessed with this since the jinx. Yes. Anytime anyone misspells some shit and gets themselves caught, I'm obsessed. I'm here for it. In my brain, I'm like, if I ever commit a crime, I'm gonna purposefully misspell some shit. So then when they question me and I spell it correctly and I write in like a slightly different handwriting, I get off scot-free.
0: I mean, that is one of the things with the zodiac and the one of the many arguments with Arthur Lee Allen is how they spelled Christmas. Oh. Just two S's at the end.
1: Interesting.
0: Girl, you know, I'm here for the shit. I mean, I know it's, it's one of the compelling, it's one of several compelling arguments that Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac. And I know that Dave Toskey believed that till the day he died, that it was Arthur Lee Allen. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. There's also like people being like, no, it wasn't because of X, Y, Z. Yes. Who knows? But that was one of the things was the, the misspelling. It's suspicious people. Yeah. His sister-in-law was like, he spells Christmas like this. He's like, he thinks it's funny. I don't know anyone else who spells Christmas like this. I would totally be that person too. I'd be like, uh, hey. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Just raising my hand from the back here. Gonna throw this out here. (laughs) Maybe this guy. Just saying. In April, 2012, Claudia Harrow was sentenced to 12 years and four months in prison. Mm. Although it was unlikely that she would ever serve the entire sentence. When Garrett heard that she had fled no contest, he said, quote, I did a jump in the air and said, woo, end quote. So mm. like, good for you. Yeah, you deserve it. Yeah. Miguel Quintez and Manny Harrow both took plea deals. Kiddez got a three-year suspended sentence in return for his cooperation while Harrow was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole and was eventually released in June of 2017. Throughout the case, however, one question that continued to plague investigators is where Claudia Harrow got the money to pay for the hit. Mm -hmm. Manny told investigators that on one occasion, he collected money from his sister in front of Joe Pesci's house. But Claudia had lived in Pesci's guest house on and off since their marriage ended in divorce in 1991. So that wasn't completely out of the
0: norm. Did Pesci fund this fucking hit, girl? Is that what the fuck you're telling me right now? I'm not saying anything definitively. Academy Award winner and Martin Scorsese darling, Joe fucking Pesci. Allegedly, according to some people. Jaw is on the floor. I am
1: shooketh. I know. Girl, (laughs) when I read this, I was like, I know how much me and Monique love my cousin Vinny and we've bonded over this. Yes! If Monique doesn't know this information, I need to bring this information to her.
0: I know 0% of this (gasps) information.
1: I'm so happy right now. This was like a throwaway line in a fucking article about an emerald, Monique. I need you to know that information because I was like, I'm sorry.
0: How was this not the headline?
1: I was like, Joe Pesci's wife did what? And then I looked this up and I was uh, rabbit hole. Like deep, bury me. I was so deep. We're in the trenches, girl. We are deep in the trenches
0: right now. It's fucking World War One up in this bitch. Girl. My jaw has not stopped being on the floor. I know. I know. I know. Since you hit me with this, this alleged information.
1: Allegedly. Again, I cannot stress the allegedly enough. I don't, I don't want to get myself in trouble here. While investigators did interview Pesci and search his property looking for evidence that he was connected to the crimes, he was never charged with any involvement in the case and denied that he gave her any money at the time. But his name did come up during Claudia Harrow's 2007 preliminary hearing when her attorney asked Lovell Campbell if Manny had told him that Pesci was involved. Campbell said, quote, not directly like that. It had more to do with the finances where the money might be coming from, end quote. According to Campbell, Manny had implied that the money was coming from the direction or directly from Joe Pesci, but he wouldn't come out and say that himself because he had a lot of respect and admiration for Joe Pesci and didn't want to implicate him in anything. He would never say his name. He would say that person or him or them. But when asked if Manny had suggested Pesci was involved, Campbell said, quote, Not in the shooting, just in the paying. End quote. Girl. Again, allegedly, no evidence was ever found to implicate him in this crime or prove that he had any sort of association with this crime. But according to people involved in this crime, Joe Pesci paid for this hit. Whether he knew that was what it was for or not, maybe she just was like, hey, I ran into some shit. I need like... 10 grand, the custody battle's not going well. Like, can you help a bitch out? And he was like, sure, no questions asked. Here you go. And then later it was like, bitch, you wanted to hit with that money? I didn't, I didn't know that was for that. Come on. So that's not how Joe Pesci sounds. That's not my Pesci impersonation, but
0: It wasn't because yes. I thought I was dead on.
1: No, it's terrible. <laughs> it's me being like drunk and not being able
0: <laughs>
1: to talk, money That's what's happening. But yes.
0: I'm so fucked up by this allegedly.
1: girl. Me too. I'm so happy you didn't know this information because I was like, I feel like because Monique knows all the things about all the movies, I'm going to say this and Monique's going to be like, "Uh, yeah, did you not know that Joe Pesci's ex-wife was convicted of attempted murder and conspiracy? And I'm going to be like, no, I had no idea. Oh my God. I knew you knew the wife did it because you're brilliant and you know these things. Thank
0: you. I've seen enough snap to know. Yes, you knew.
1: Even when I was like, they said it wasn't her. The police were like, she's not involved. Monique was like, yeah, no, but she's involved.
0: I'm aware. The verbiage was like, "Mm." it's like allegedly. I was like, no,
1: that's not it. Allegedly. That's not it. No. But according to the deputy district attorney, Manny denied that Pesci was involved. And she said there was no credible evidence that Pesci had any involvement in the case. Quote, if there was evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he was involved, he would have been charged. End quote. In the aftermath of the trial and with the knowledge that his wife had tried to have him murdered, Garrett said he's had to learn to have a lot of forgiveness. He said, quote, I've forgiven anybody and everything that has ever happened to me or that will happen to me because, you know, this world's not worth it. And honestly, when the day comes and I have to be judged, I certainly hope that
0: I'm forgiven. End quote. But did you tr- did you order a hit on someone, Garrett, that's very different? no it's very different. Correct. I know. I'm sorry. It's very different. And I think I may have mentioned it on the podcast. There was a situation with my mother and my younger brother, basically like several people in our elementary school just had a hard on for my older brother because he was like fucking 11 and a piece of shit. You know, he was like that kid. And like, they all had hard on for him. And then they like did a bunch of shit that was super fucked up and blamed him for shit that he didn't do. And like adults were not being the adults in the room. And then the principal called my mother in, and this was a Catholic school and it was all like ex-nuns, it's run by ex-nuns. And the principal who was an ex-nun called my mother in to the, like for a meeting about my brother and was like, I just want to apologize and ask for your forgiveness because of like how I've treated your son and how the... Teachers at large have treated your son to, like, 12. And my mother's response was, you can ask Jesus for forgiveness because you're not going to get it from me. She was like, boom, Marielena. Boom. Some boss bitch. Savage. I, Yeah, absolutely. I love it. You try to kill me, I'm not going to be like, I forgive you. Get the fuck out of here. Get that shit from Jesus. You're not getting it from me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm with you on that, too. Mm -mm. I mean, he found Jesus, I guess, because he's about it. Better than me. Yeah. He did kind of have like a little bit of like a near death experience where like he saw his sister and oh, shit. Had, like kind of, yeah. And I do think he kind of found religion after this. I don't know how religious he was to begin with, but I believe, I mean, I get it after that who wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously he's a better person than us. He is trying to preach forgiveness He also does have his daughter to think about and still like brought her to visit Claudia while she was in prison and had visitation with her. That's very nice. Yeah. They speak on the phone as much as like she wants to the daughter. He said, quote, I have a daughter and I love her and I want her to be raised as normal as possible. We all make mistakes and we all move on. End quote. Mm. Now, you would think being shot might've put a hold on Garrett's career as a stuntman, but if anything, his career only took off even more after the incident.
0: Fuck yeah.
1: Yeah. With him saying, quote, it's actually made me a better person in the industry. I'm able to give firsthand experience of what it's actually like to get shot, end quote. Which like, (laughs) I mean, that's the whole like, take an experience and roll with it. like Use it, man. Yeah, fuck. What a bamf. Seriously, certifiable badass. Like Garrett Warren, claps for you. You're amazing. But Garrett said his success in the industry is not just because he has a good story to tell. It's because the incident taught him how to get rid of the whole lot of revenge. He got rid of any desire to get back at anybody or anything and was able to finally focus his attention on pursuing other things and just trying to go forward in his life. After the shooting, his career skyrocketed. He worked on Grindhouse, Planet Terror, Avatar, Transformers, True Blood, Westworld, Iron Man 2, X Men, First Class, X Men Apocalypse, Alice in Wonderland, Mission Impossible 3, Ready Player One, Elita Battle Angel, and even the most recent Reno and 1 movie. Oh, and fucking Logan, which is one of my favorite Marvel movies of all time. So he's worked with Hugh Jackman, Jessica
0: Alba. That's the Wolverine one right? Yeah.
1: That's the really dark, really good Wolverine one.
0: You know, my <laughs> my brother's girlfriend named her youngest son Logan after that movie.
1: I feel like you told me that. And before you told me they named it after the movie character, I thought that in my head, I was like, oh, I love that movie. It's great. And then you told
0: me that I was like, oh, I love this. It's so much better. And I was like, like Wolverine, she's like absolutely like Wolverine. <laughs> I was like, work, amazing.
1: Absolutely like Wolverine. <laughs> you should watch that movie. It's amazing for the record.
0: Yeah, okay, I'll put it on the list. Throw it on the list, baby. The infinite list that
1: grows longer every day because so many good shows keep coming out. God damn it.
0: I know. I know. So
1: good. I know.
0: Claudia Harrow
1: served her sentence at the California Institute for Women in Chino, California, and was released in August of 2019. Joe Pesci reportedly continued to visit her in prison and was seen there as recently as 2015. Like, they're still, like, buddy-buddy, apparently. Girl, she got that
0: Pesci money, girl. She got that Pesci money, girl. I, like, don't, I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that. So,
1: apparently, that is the story of the time Claudia Harrow took out a hit on her husband, Garrett Warren. And Joe Pesci allegedly paid for it? Joe Pesci might have paid for it. Yes! Again, allegedly, there was never any evidence found that this happened. People only said it happened. So, do with that information what you will.
0: <laughs> Girl. 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 I know. Girl. Girl. This story is crazy. This story is fucking nuts. Is it Joe Pesci paid for a hit for his ex wife's husband, ex husband?
1: Yes. Wait. The craziest thing to me is if you didn't realize she would have gotten away with it if she just hadn't ordered the second hit. Like if she had just like once the first shooting was done and it didn't go well and she was like fuck that didn't end how I wanted to. And just stopped instead of like following up on this and being like, hey, um, actually, like you didn't do the job you said you were gonna do. Could you actually murder him this time? Thanks. You just shot out his eye. That's not what I asked for. But all right. Be guided accordingly. Yes. Like that's what did her in was literally ordering the
0: second hit. Because you couldn't leave it the fuck alone. Claudia. Realistically, I think that maybe Pesci is like, I need to keep fucking with this chick because she's going to fucking murder me. (gasps) Maybe. So I got to keep it cute. I would not put anything past this at this point. Yeah. Academy Award winner, Joe Pesci. I know. Knows what's up. (sighs) She got that Pesci money though, girl. I like, I'm very fucked up about this. And
1: also like, if you were going to ask a guy to like fund a hit, like Joe Pesci is the fucking
0: guy you're going to ask, right? I mean, He's the guy. He is the guy.
1: Yes. You're not going to ask your dad. You're going to be like, hey, Pesci.
0: My ex, Pesci. Yeah. Who we're still super cute about. Yeah. Because he's Joe Pesci.
1: But also, like, bitch, you're not a Joe Pesci character. Like, relax. You don't need to be fucking ordering hits on people.
0: No. You can just be cute and not. You can just be cute. Thank you. You could use that Joe Pesci money to, like, just be cute and not (laughs) order hits on your ex-husband. Yes.
1: You were apparently still, like, on good terms and, like, living in his guest house. just like be chill and live in Joe Pesci's guest house. That's amazing. I would have murdered somebody to live in Joe Pesci's guest house. So there you go, Monique.
0: I wanted to say it, but you said it. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I admit to like, wanting to murder a lot on the show. It's probably bad.
0: No, but literally like just girl, you're living in Pesci's guest house. You got that Pesci money. Just like weasel your way back into like being the Pesci GF, the Pesci wife. Yeah, whatever. Like He's still fucking visiting you in prison. He's visiting you in Chino, girl.
1: <laughs> Let's be
0: fucking drive. real. That's a drive. Yeah. No. Traffic's awful. There's so much happening in this episode that I just emotionally, I'm not prepared for. Girl, I know.
1: I'm sorry, but I thought you needed the information that Joe Pesci might have paid for an actual hit.
0: Thank you. I absolutely fucking did. That was an astute observation and you nailed it. I know your love of Joe Pesci. It matches my love of Joe Pesci. I mean, yeah, that's why we got along. One of a thousand reasons. Yes.
1: Again, this was a throwaway line in an article that I was like, I'm sorry. What? Cue me what? What happened? I missed all of this. So I need to immediately find out everything that I possibly can
0: about this. Thank you for paying it forward, Amy. Thank you for your service. You're so welcome, Monique.
1: So yeah, it was definitely not as horrifying and gruesome as your paranormal story this week, but it needed to be said.
0: Equally necessary and equally fucking crazy. Yes. Girl. Girl. We'll never be the same, I know. No, never. I'm, I'm irreparably changed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I love you. You're
1: so wonderful. I loved your psychic story this week. Thank
0: you. Obviously, I'm never I'm never going to be the same after this fucking story.
1: No. You're going to bring it up anytime anyone mentions Joe Pesci. I know because I'm going to bring it up every time anyone mentions Joe Pesci from this moment forward.
0: From this moment. Um, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to wait for people to mention jo- Joe Pesci. I'm just going to shoehorn that shit in. Yeah, I'm going to bring it up unprompted. i would be like, "You want to hear some crazy shit?" Joe Pesci allegedly funded a hit on his ex-wife's ex-husband. So many exes. Yes. Shit's wild. Shit is wild. I was obsessed with that story. Girl. I'm never going to get over it. That's all I can say.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy you're like on my level with this with me. And you didn't know this before. That was my true worry was that you were going to be like, yeah, I heard this already.
0: And I'm going to be like, fuck. No, never. Oh, my God. Thank you. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. And thank you guys for listening. This is another fucking horror podcast, in case you weren't aware. I'm Monique Sanchez. I'm Amy Trude. If you don't follow the show on the gram, you should. We're at another fucking horror podcast. You can find me Monique at Pin Up Girl Mo. You can find me Amy at Laparatomy, and that's bot period Amy. Every six episode, we do a True Listener Tales episode where we read your crazy stories. So if you have one, or you want to say hi, or you actually enjoyed Beowulf and you don't want Amy to feel alone, <laughs> just throw her some fucking love. I think she'd really appreciate it. I'm gonna regret admitting that. It's fine. I'm sure I've admitted way worse. But yeah, you could email us or email Amy at another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the UN fucking. As always, we're so obsessed with you. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.